Well, good morning. It's a real privilege to be here this morning. Uh, let me reintroduce myself for some of you who may not know who I am. I'm the new guy on staff, and uh, I want to say thank you to Crawford for allowing me another opportunity to be here with you and to open God's Word together. I, I hope that uh, you've come with great hope and expectancy. Uh, it it's always an amazing thing to me that to come together and to gather and the fact that we get to celebrate and really demonstrate to Jesus uh, just how much we need him and how expressatory he is towards us in his love uh, in supernatural ways. I, my name is Glenn Underhill. I'm the pastor of discipleship. And, uh, and so I'm uh, in, in the midst of, we're in the midst of still transitioning and, and have our family here now. And uh, we're learning to uh, kind of stop our foreign language of Texan and uh, learn to be more Georgian, and so we're, we're making progress in that way, and uh, I want to just say quickly before I, I launch into this morning, uh, I just want to tell you from, from our family how much we just appreciate how you have just loved us. I mean, we have been overwhelmed with just such appreciation and welcome, and, and uh, I was gone overseas for several weeks when I first got here. There was a group of people that showed up in my house when the moving truck came, and man, they unpacked boxes with my wife for, for a day, and that was great on my end, because when I came home, it was already done. Uh, and man, I, all I can say is, is fellowship rocks. So uh, I, I just wanted to say that uh, just from, from the, uh, really from my heart, uh, to say thank you in so many different ways. When we were uh, in the beginning conversations of uh, just talking about what the possibilities might look like for us to be here at Fellowship, Tim Beard sent me a, a copy of our mission statement. And our mission statement just says this. It says, we exist to love God and make disciples of Jesus who... I'm sorry, let me start that over again. Uh, we exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus who love God passionately and love others unconditionally. Man, I, I, when I read that, I was really stirred in my heart because that really beats and resonates with, with what works inside of me and I was really energized. And so as we continued conversations, it became very clear as I met with Crawford and Tim and the elders that this wasn't just something that this church wanted to have as, as, as a real nice mission statement on a piece of paper or some fancy slogan, but it was a desire for this to become really the reality of, of who we were as fellowship. So in other words, if we were to cut us open and, and to really kind of dive into who we really were, that this would become the living reality, the, 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 the picture of what we would look like and become as, as a people of God. And, and if this is true... And if this is going to be true, I think there are really two key questions that we have to ask. The first one is, what really is a disciple? And if you'll remember back a few months ago when I was here and my very first Sunday and I was up here on the platform, I really just tried to help describe biblically what a disciple might look like through the lens of Jesus. And I used three words to help describe a 3D disciple. I, I, I said that a disciple is someone who's 
devoted to Jesus Christ. I said that a disciple is someone who is developing in Christ's likeness. It's kind of an ongoing process. And then I said that a, a disciple is someone who is deployed and committed to living out the mission of Jesus. And so with that frame in mind, that really kind of helps us get a picture of what a disciple looks like. But I think the next critical question we have to ask is, how do we make disciples? I mean, seriously, how do we really go about, if we're going to talk about a disciple, the next question we really have to answer is, what does a disciple, how are we going to do that? You know, I was playing around this week on a little website, and I came to find out that our, our current population worldwide is just over 7 billion people. How do we make disciples of 7 billion people? I, I thought about that a little bit this week, and I thought, well, maybe if I won 1,000 people to Christ every day for the rest of my life, how long would that take? Well, if my math was correct, it would take me approximately 17,000 years. Now, I know I look young, and, uh, and, but I, I can guarantee you I don't have 17,000 years of life left in me. So then I thought about what would happen if, if instead of doing it that way, I were to win and disciple two people every year for the rest of my life. And those two people were to win and disciple two more people who then went out and won and discipled two more people who did that over and over and over, how might that look and how long would that take? Again, if I did the math correct, it would take just shy of 18 years to reach our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You think, wow, why isn't that happening? What What's, what's gone on? What, why is those kinds of results not taking place? And did Jesus really have a plan for making disciples who made disciples? And I am under great conviction that Jesus had a strategy for not only making disciples, but for multiplying them who would multiply, who would multiply. And I believe that his strategy is very successful. In fact, if you look into the book of Acts, what you'll actually find is that two years... After Jesus' ascension, we're told that all of Jerusalem was filled with the teachings of Jesus. After four and a half years, they had already begun to plant multiplying churches and equipping disciples who then were going out and making more disciples and more disciples and more disciples. Towards the latter part of the book of Acts, we read that 18 years after Jesus' ascension, that they had turned the world upside down. And after 28 years, Colossians tells us that the gospel was bearing fruit to the entire known world. Gang, if that's not a very compelling strategy, if that's not a very compelling way to reach the world, man, I want to sign up for that. I mean, that's, that's what I want to invest my life into. That's the kind of cause that I want to be a part of. And it is a strategy that works. But I think that it's a strategy that, unfortunately, in Christianum, that we've abandoned. And, and I want to help us think about, through the lens of Jesus, how can we get back to what Jesus did when, it, when we talk about making disciples? So this morning, I want to talk about the blueprint 
for discipleship. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open up to Matthew's Gospel, and we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 28 this morning. And as you're turning in there, I think that it, uh, as you're turning towards Matthew 28, let me just make a few clarifying remarks, because I think it's important for me to, to really emphasize, when I talk about discipleship, what discipleship really means biblically. Unfortunately, I think most of us have a misperception of the word discipleship. When we think of the word discipleship, we think of a, a program that the church puts on, or, or maybe it's a ministry of the church, or maybe we hire someone out to do discipleship. Uh, and, and, and really, that's not what discipleship really is all about. Really, discipleship is what the church does as a whole. In Jesus' mind, discipleship was about a process of seeing someone who was disconnected, far from the Father, turned into, transformed into a reproducing disciple of Jesus Christ. And, and, and there's this amazing strategy that Jesus laid out in the Gospel of Matthew at the very tail end that I think would be really important for us to begin to think about in light of how we, as fellowship, will go about making disciples who make disciples. Now, these are the last words, some of the last words of Jesus with his team. And, and so, last words are really important. I don't know if you've ever been with someone who's preparing to die, but last words are, are, are very critical. And I distinctly remember when my grandfather was dying and I was at the hospital with him. And uh, we were there in his room. At, at just before he passed, I remember him calling me over to his bed, putting his arm around me and whispering in my ear words that he wanted me to remember and words that he wanted me to live by. And I, and I somewhat get this, this, this indication that these are the same compelling words that Jesus wants to communicate to his team because there was no plan B. These guys were it. They had to get it. And he wanted to remind them of what their mission was. And he wanted to remind them of how to make that mission a reality. So let's pick up with verse 16, and we'll read through verse 20. It says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to a mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. And some were doubtful, and Jesus came and spoke to them, and saying, All authority has been given to me. In heaven and on earth, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Again, as I was mentioning that these last words of Jesus are packed with a powerful punch it was in this time as Jesus is getting ready to ascend back to heaven that he reappears to the disciples over a 40-day period of time just popping in and out and most of the time unannounced. We know at least 10 different times Jesus appears to the disciples. But this is the only time that his announcement was pre-announced. In fact, if you look back in verse 7 of, of chapter 28, he actually, uh, the angels tell a few ladies to go out and tell the disciples that Jesus is going to meet them 
on the mountain. And so I imagine that these disciples uh, are, are on a full court press to Galilee. And they know the exact place that they're supposed to meet Jesus. There's a high level of excitement and anticipation. They can't wait to see Jesus and to hear what Jesus is going to, to speak into their lives. And, and, and there's this, just, just this joy. I, I can only imagine because they're going to see him again. And it's interesting that Jesus would call them to a mountain. You know, Jesus loved the mountains. And, and, and you see throughout his journey that he used mountaintop experiences to really communicate deep truth. In fact, we know that there are several times that Jesus used mountain experiences. If you remember one of Jesus' most prominent messages called the Sermon on the Mount was on a mountain. We know that when Jesus selected and appointed the 12 disciples, he called them to himself up on a mountain that they might be with him. We also know that Jesus was transfigured on a mountain in front of Peter, James, and John. We know that it's on the mountain now that Jesus is going to give his future plans and he's going to speak and remind his disciples what their task was that was in front of them. You see, a mountain was a, 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 a privileged place of special revelation. And so they come into this situation with high anticipation, with great eagerness to hear what Jesus has to say. And Jesus reminds them right off the bat by saying these words, make disciples of all nations. Jesus squarely reminded his team that the mission for which they were born, the mission for which he had been investing years of his life into them, was squarely and clearly built around the activity of making disciples of all nations. You see, our mission as followers of Jesus Christ today is not any different. I don't have to wonder what my call and purpose in life is or why I exist as a follower of Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, your mission, my mission, the church's mission, no matter what church declares that Jesus is who they follow, each and every one of us have one central purpose. And that purpose, that reason for existence, is to make disciples who make disciples I'm under the conviction that Jesus' mission was not so much to reach the world as it was to make disciples capable of reaching the world. But Jesus goes on from there and he uses three words to describe how to make disciples. In fact, they're actually verbs that really help us get a very clear picture, a very clear pointed strategy that Jesus had been instituting into the lives of the disciples and he was going to remind them very clearly and they're a great reminder for us on how we might go about making disciples who make disciples. The first word that Jesus uses is, is really in verse 19 and it says go. You see it there in the scriptures, the word go. Now often we put go make disciples together and assume that really it's all about reaching 
and evangelizing the lost. And yes, this word go means to go to those who are far from him, to win the lost. In other words, Jesus, what Jesus was saying is as you are going, as you're rubbing shoulders in the natural, the natural day in and day out of your activity, who are you bumping up against that's far from me? It's always interesting to me that as, as Jesus was doing life, he was coming into uh, relationships, natural relationships with people who were far from his father. And what I'm always fascinated by is that when Jesus would come into contact with these individuals who were far from him, he would often use a little phrase that he would say, come and see. Come and see. You know, if I were to parse that out in Greek for you, that would be come and hang out with me. Yeah, come do life with me. Come, come, let's come and let's have conversation. Let's, let's talk about the, the, the questions. Let's talk about the doubts that you have. You see, people who are, who are seekers of truth, who are trying to discern if Jesus really is who he says he is, they come with a lot of doubt. They come with a lot of questions. They're looking to explore these, these questions in a place that's safe. And, and they wonder, hey, is Jesus really who he is? And can I have those questions answered? The fact of the matter is, is that more and more people in our culture today come with a lot of hang-ups and a lot of doubts about Christianity. And what they need are to experience is the love and honest relationship of believers. My son was, my oldest son was playing baseball and, and uh, he was uh, drafted by a team called the Pirates and so we showed up at, at his very first practice and uh, we got to the field and Luke runs out on the field and they're, you know, throwing the ball around and I introduced myself to the coach and his name was Eric and I said, hey Eric, my name's Glenn and we got into a little bit of a conversation and he said uh, you know Glenn well, what do you do for a living now again that's not my most favorite question to answer because when I normally say hey I'm a pastor it, it causes all kinds of, of disternation on people's faces but I said well hey look I'm, I'm a pastor and he's I could see it I could see it coming and sure enough I mean it was like I mean he shut down and he said well that's great hey uh, we're, we're, practice will be over an hour and a half <laughs> okay great thanks so I show back up at practice, and he, uh, he says, hey, Mr. Underhill, do you mind coming over here? I said, certainly. So this is the end of practice, and Luke's going back towards the car, and he said, hey, uh, I know this is going to sound a little awkward, but I'm just going to be pretty straightforward with you. He said, uh, please, do not try to pass your religion on me. And I said, you know, Eric, I, I hear what you're saying, you know, actually, I'm not a very religious person myself, which kind of caught him off guard a little bit. But he said, uh, okay, you know, and I said, you know, I, I, I want to do as best I can to, uh, to honor that. Well, over the course of time, as things happened, we got into lots of great conversations. And we began to build this amazingly credible friendship. They were in our home, and we cooked and barbecued. It's amazing what food can do to bring together relationships, right? And, 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 and we were in their home and, and uh, saw some, you know, some amazing things and had some great times. We played fantasy football together and, and did all kinds of just 
things together. And, and as that time began to develop, we began to have more and more conversations. And it opened up more and more opportunities for me to kind of step my foot just a little bit into some spiritual conversations. One day I asked him, I said, so Eric, tell me, why are you so opposed to religion? I'm just curious. And so he began to walk me through what had happened and some of the questions that he had. And over time, we began to continue to have those conversations. And he would come, you know, many times and he'd say, well, why do you do what you do with your kids? And why are you taking them to church? And, and we would invite them to outreach events at our church. And they would come. And, and, and then I remember distinctly one night, uh, they're at our house. And Kim, Eric's wife, said, uh, hey, Don, you know, we're reading through the Old Testament. Have you ever read here before? I mean, do you see what's going on in here? I mean, they're like killing everybody. And how, I mean, how do, you, how do you make sense of all of that? You know, and Don just began to have those kinds of conversations with Ken, and, and, and dialogue continued to happen. And, and uh, about a year ago, Eric's dad phoned Eric and said, hey, you need to get back here to Philadelphia. Your grandfather has passed away. When he got back, he put a phone call into me, and he said, hey, do you mind if we have lunch? And I said, sure, let's, let's do it. And we had lunch together, and he said, Glenn... I have one question. I really don't get this thing called the afterlife. Man, can you, can you just help me make some sense of all of this stuff? And so we had this amazing conversation over the course of hours together. And, and, and I wish I could stand up here and say, Eric has crossed the line and put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But he hasn't done that yet. But I can tell you this, that Eric years ago, is now taking steps towards knowing and understanding the reality of who Jesus is. And I am confident that there will come a day that the Holy Spirit will pour into Eric's life and he will respond to the unmerited grace and favor of Jesus Christ. You see, as I've been kind of milling this around, I, there, there are thousands of people that you and I interact with on a daily basis who are far from God. And what Jesus was reminding his disciples and what he had really very much modeled to them is who are you going to and, and who are you building relationships with who are far from God? You know, there's a phrase in the Bible that I, I get very troubled over many times. And I, and I really press into and say, Lord, I want to be that. But Jesus was often accused, and I use this word accused, of being a friend of sinners. You know, I often ask myself, who is far from God that would call me a friend? Who is it that if something happened at 2 a.m. in the morning, and they were far from God, would they get on the phone and call me and say, I need a favor, I need a hand, I need some help? See, I, I think that we can cultivate some pretty amazing relationships and over time begin to plant the seeds of truth and, and as the Holy Spirit begins to work and do what the Holy Spirit does, that there are times that many of those people will step over the line of faith and put their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ. But as they don't, I, I'm still there to continue to answer those questions and to help them explore 
who Jesus really is. Jesus goes into a second word. If you look in the text there, again in verse 19, he, he says another word to help describe this disciple-making process, this discipleship process. He uses the word baptize. Baptize. You might be thinking, what does that word baptize really mean? I mean, what does it really mean when, when we talk about this baptism? And really, what, what this word here is communicating is really it's communicating a, a form of identification, See, in Jesus' day, when a person was baptized, what they were essentially saying is that I, with 100% conviction, I, I believe the message, and I believe the messenger. And so what Jesus was saying in this next stage is that those who've, who've crossed over and had this supernatural experience and they've repented and they've believed and now they've put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, they now enter into a situation where they need to really be developed and they need to be rooted and they need to understand their identity of who they are in Christ. They, they need to have those, those things really work through. And, and this is where Jesus offers an amazing invitation at times too to, to people who had kind of said, you know what, I believe and I, I trust, but he would offer this next invitation. He'd say, come and follow me. And essentially what he was saying is, get behind me and watch what I do and do what I do when you watch what I do. And this is exactly what he'd been doing with the disciples as he was building into them this new identity as he was helping them to shape their faith and to grow their spiritual roots because you know what? Jesus was very much concerned that they would root and establish their spiritual roots into the work and the person of Jesus Christ. You see, people who are in this stage need people to come around them and to spiritually care for them and to feed them, to teach them the truth of God's word and to model that out in front of them. That's what Jesus did with these and many others is he really began, began to do that. And, 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 and what Jesus also recognized though is that as, as much as we need to do that, if we allow people to stay in that phase too terribly long, they can become what we call spiritual consumers. And what do you mean by that, Glenn? Jesus recognized that if, if not careful, we might be turned into people who all we want to do is consume and consume and consume and consume and consume and, 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 and go to the next Bible study and consume and consume and consume and consume and go to the next Bible study and consume and consume and consume and consume and we never ever pour back out. I never forget, I, I was meeting with a group of guys in my home, a guy named Zach, great guy, super guy, great leader, worked for a company called Fastenal, was an up-and-comer in his, in his company, and he was over at my house, and a group of guys would come, and it was late at night, and, and uh, he was saying, hey, you know, Glenn, at night he would stay by, at, the end of my, at the house, and he'd stay till late, sometimes midnight, one o'clock in the morning, and, and I remember him at times really kind of complaining about church. You know, I just don't know if the church is feeding me anymore. 
I just don't know if I'm, you know, if it's offering me the right kinds of Bible studies. I, I don't know if it's offering me the right kind of thing. And you know, and have you noticed that the parking lot is always full? I can never find a parking place. And what's up with all this music? Why do they keep changing it? Why can't I never sit in the same spot every time I sit down? Someone else is sitting in the place that I've sat for, for, for years. What's up with all of that? I, I don't get it, man. I, 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 I'm, I'm just trying to do this Jesus thing, and, 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 I, and I, it doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> and so I said, you know, Zach, has there ever come a point that, that you really know how to feed yourself? I said, well, what do you mean by that? I mean, I, I read the Bible. I said, well, that's great, but do you know how to hear from God? Do you know how to have a pathway to knowing Jesus more intimately, personally, and deeply? Uh, do you, are you developing that as a lifestyle? He said, well, no, not exactly. And I said, well, would you mind if I took the next several months and kind of walked alongside you to begin to develop those patterns and those, those things in your life? And he said, well, I, I guess. And over the course of time, what we watched God do was some pretty amazing and supernatural things that only the Holy Spirit could do. Zach began to, to, to have this quest and desire for, for God's word. And, and, and he wanted to, he'd come to my house often and say, instead of complaining, now he's coming to my house going, man, I'm reading this. Can you help me make sense more of this and how this really works its way in me and through me? You see, there comes a point that is, as, as, as someone in this second stage, this baptize, this, this follow me stage, needs to begin to transition from self to having their eyes pointed on others. If you look at the third word Jesus uses, it really opens up the window to help us see this, this, third, this third verb that Jesus uses as part of this process, and it's the word Teach. In other words, Jesus is saying, equip the worker to do the work of ministry. And it says, to teach them to obey some things. No, it doesn't say some, does it? Jesus says to obey all things that I've commanded you. In other words, what Jesus was saying is, I'm going to pour my life into you. I'm going to challenge you to fish for people. I'm going to challenge you and equip you to be a, a team of people that can do great peer and great care. And, and, and have the opportunity to share, to do peer care and peer share. And I'm going to challenge you to shift your eyes off of yourself and begin to shift them towards others. Jesus was constantly pushing into them to reorder the priorities of their day so that they could walk with God in a personal and real way, that they would reach the lost and invest in a few. And these guys were starting to buy into it. And, and God was doing some great things. He took them on intentional trips that allowed them to shape this perspective. And I don't have all the time in the world to go into all these different trips that Jesus took. But man, Jesus utilized all the kinds of on-the-job training to shape these guys and to mold them into the disciples that he envisioned them to become. See, it's here that people need a spiritual coach. They need someone to help them and to champion them to take on the priorities 
and the conduct of Jesus. It's here that they need to be developed and to think about how they could creatively use different things in their lives to reach out to the peers in their life, to use their gifts and their talents not only for things inside the church, but also how to use those same gifts and talents outside the body of Christ. You know, I mentioned that uh, Zach was, God was doing some amazing things in Zach's heart in his life. Zach hired a guy by the name of Ben. And, and right away, Zach began to pick up that something was not right in Zach's life, or in Ben's life. And so he began to just talk to him, and he discovered that, that uh, Ben and his wife were going through some real struggles in their marriage. And so Zach said, hey, why don't you come to our church? And Ben out of desperation, said, sure, I'll come. I'm, I'm desperate. I'm going to try anything to make this thing work. They came to a service just like this. In fact, Ben and Carrie sat pretty close to the, to the front middle because Zach and Jen drugged them down and made them sit right here in front with them. And over the course of time, as that, converse, as, as that d- relationship developed, they continued to come and, 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 and he began to answer some of the questions that Ben had about, about Jesus and about this, this reality of, of life change. And over the course of time, within a few months, Ben gave his life to Jesus Christ. He was baptized. And, and, and Zach came along and said, hey, why don't you join our small group and get involved with some other couples who who are in the same place of life like you, but who are trying to figure this whole thing out ourselves. And they got engaged in that small group and God began to do some things. And then all of a sudden, just like Zach, Ben started going, you know, I'm just not sure this church really cares for me or I'm not sure, I I might need something else. And Ben, uh, you know, and so Ben was starting to complain to Zach and Zach called me up and said, hey, can can I bring Ben over to your house so you can have the same talk with him that you had with me? And so we got into this conversation and we talked about it and Zach said, hey, let me teach you how to, I want to come alongside you and help you understand how to to walk with God, how to invest your life in a few and how to reach the lost. And so he began to pour and equip into Ben those same things. And, And over time, Ben came to us and said, hey, I'd like to start a small group. You know, I know our small group's growing, but I'd like to start a new small group. And do you mind if I recruit a few couples to, to start that small group? That a boy. Stepped up and he recruited some other couples. And, and just with six couples, they started. And today, they have over 24 couples coming to that group. All in different stages in the spiritual continuum but man, they are investing and pouring their lives into people and God is doing some amazing things. You see, Ben's just an ordinary guy. Zach's just an ordinary guy. But ordinary men and ordinary women, when they align with Jesus' strategy for making disciples, can do some absolutely extraordinary things as they cooperate with the Spirit of God in their lives. Now, this last word, we don't see in the text, but if you go back up just a ways to the word disciple, make disciples, that implies make disciples who make disciples. You see, this this last function that Jesus wanted to see in this process 
was proven multipliers who go and bear fruit, thus proving to be my disciples. It's here that these guys had spent the last several years of their life watching what Jesus did, and now they were going to be challenged to go and do what Jesus did. And in just a few short years, these men were going to see amazing things, and they were going to be a part of amazing things. See, these these disciples discovered that the secret to successful Christian living was found in being Christ-centered and Christ-controlled. And as they abided in Christ, and as the Holy Spirit began to work in them and through them, He produced much fruit. You know, as we think about winning the lost and building the believer and, and training the worker and then sending out proven multipliers... This is all a very supernatural process. We we can't just make these things happen. But as we cooperate with the Spirit, supernatural things happen. And as churches and individuals line up to this process, what ends up happening is healthy disciples produce what? Healthy disciples. Healthy churches produce plant what? Healthy, disciple-making churches. You see, God's desire for you and God's desire for me is that we, that we will live a life in ministry of multiplication. I think sometimes we, for lack of a better word, we sell ourselves short. We live too small. I want to encourage us to lift our eyes to something bigger, to lift our eyes towards being people who live with multiplication as a mindset. That we live, and if you have just a second, and I didn't do this in the first service, but I, man, I'm so, I, I got a little bit more time and I want to use it all up. If you look at Revelations, move to Revelations chapter 9, or I'm sorry, Re- Revelations chapter 7. I, I, want to, I just want to read this because, boy, if we will live with this reality in mind. Revelations chapter 7, verse 9 says, And after these things I looked up, this is John speaking, and behold, a great multitude no one could count. From every nation and every tribe and every people and every tongue were standing before the throne of the Lamb of God. That is a picture of discipleship. That is a picture of a movement of disciples and multiplying disciples who multiply disciples from every tongue and every nation and every tribe. Because Jesus said, we are to make disciples of every nation. And I don't know about you, but for me, I want to live my life with that in mind, with that kind of vision in mind, that Jesus, I want to be a part, a little part of that. So my question this morning for you is this, what's going to motivate you 
to do this? What motivates and fires us, fuels us to do this for God's kingdom? You know, Jesus was asked what was the most important command, and Jesus said this. He said, we're to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and we are to love others as ourselves. See, the motivation, the fuel, the passion to fulfill the great commission comes out of the great commandment of loving God and loving people. We, because we love God and because we love people, we make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. What's our story going to be here at Fellowship? What's our story going to look like years from now? As we begin to look into and to press into you know, this, this whole thought of we exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ who passionately love God and love people unconditionally. What will that look like? In your life, what will that look like in my life? And what will our church look like in the years to come as we tap into this concept, this vision, this strategy of making and multiplying disciples like Jesus did? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you didn't leave this by chance. That you didn't just somehow hope that we might figure this all out. That Jesus, you laid out a very intentional, very clear strategy for making and multiplying disciples. And my responsibility is, is just to submit to that plan and to submit to you and allow you to begin to, to work me through this process. And I know that there are some here this morning that perhaps are, are still exploring these claims that you made of being the Messiah. Where they find fellowship to be a place that is safe to ask those kinds of questions. Would there be people of this body who would have a heart to, to reach out as you did, and say, come and see. But Father, there may even be some here this morning who are kind of in that, the follow me stage, and they're, they're growing, but then now they're also kind of wondering what's next, and, and, and Father, would there be some that would come alongside them and, and, and say, hey, let me help to equip you, not as an expert, but as someone who's maybe just a few steps ahead to point you to how to walk with God in a real and personal way and, 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 and how to, to reach the lost and how to invest your life in a few. And then for those who maybe are at the point of equipping, would you give them courage and boldness and, and, and great creativity to know how to, to invest their life where you've planted them? And Lord, would we be a church and a people who ultimately bear much fruit for your glory. And in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.